welcome to the Kitchen Conversations podcast. My name is Patricia Rozvora and I'm the host of this platform where we speak about contemporary art from so-called Eastern Europe. In each episode, you're going to be introduced to one artist or researcher whose visual or activist practice sheds light onto the complex former socialist region with all its histories, cultures, languages, foods, but also traumas and their inevitable contemporary consequences. The podcast is a fully independent platform existing since May 2020. If you enjoy the monthly conversations, you can support me via Patreon or share the episode with your friends or via social channels. Welcome everyone, welcome to all of the new but also old listeners of the podcast. Today at my kitchen table I'm hosting a multidisciplinary artist working mainly with embroidery and sound, Victoria Sarangova. Victoria comes originally from the Republic of Kalmykia and more specifically a city called Elista. As you will hear, she came uh, to Europe at a younger age and is currently living and working in Berlin. Her art practice is to a large degree devoted to getting closer to the history of her ancestors uh, and uh, tell the story and micro stories of the Kalmyk people. And because of that, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about the Republic of Kalmykia, where it is located and share a little bit uh, some of the historic facts that are also very much relevant to our conversation and to the art that Victoria creates. Kalmykia is located in southwest Russia, a few hundred kilometers to the north of the Caucasus Mountains. It is populated by Kalmyk people of Mongol origin, who are primarily of Buddhist faith. And they are one of the many ethnic groups who live inside Russia today. The tensions between history and memory are still very present there. It is a result of mass deportations of the Kalmyk people during the Soviet period. In 1943, during the Second World War and under the rule of Joseph Stalin, nearly 120,000 Kalmyks were deported from their land for allegedly conspiring with the Nazis. People were forcefully relocated to Siberia, but also other harsh parts of Russia, including secluded eastern parts of the Soviet Union. A significant number of people, especially soldiers and sergeants of Kalmyk origin, were directly sent into Soviet labor camps, known as the Gulag system. It is a very brutal, uh, dark history that should be recognized as genocide. And it is, of course, important to speak about it, especially uh, in current uh, day with the Russian Federation again colonizing a different part uh, of the former Soviet Union. So I think it is also very much important to speak about those histories. And I think Victoria does it in a very beautiful and gentle way through her art practice. So I'm very curious uh, to share it with you today. Let's begin. Welcome to my studio, which is also a part of my apartment. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yes. So this is where you so create my, work. Uh, you see in the corner a small imitation of white cube. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's where I can test several things uh, within the, you know, like stripped from the context of uh, the atelier. I love that. Yeah, and there, uh, there are all my materials. You can already see how messy it is. 
and not uh, at all <laughs> super organ <laughs> yes very polite <laughs> but yeah that's i'm trying to keep it all right and here is uh, the uh, this, sound yeah sound and writing so and uh, usually i like to work on uh, uh, in the middle of it all. floor yeah on the floor yeah so how did you end up here meaning well first of all neukölln but more specifically mm-hmm. berlin germany well that trip was pretty long <laughs> and also messy but uh, yes i'm coming from kalmykia originally and i lived there till i was 24 And then I moved to London to study art. I didn't know for how long, but then it kind of... And I stayed there, yeah. I stayed for a bachelor. And after London, I moved to Italy, stayed there a little bit, and then uh, moved to Berlin. And came here because you heard Berlin is cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's where all the artists go, right? <laughs> That is so true. It has such a... Such a branding, the city, yeah. It does. Um, It's like um, poor but sexy, right? This yes. Time. From outside, it it promises you a lot as an artist, but the reality is a little bit different. But this is a huge spoiler <laughs> for everyone who wants to move here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, for economic reasons, because it was uh, already not so easy to survive uh, as an artist who just graduated from university in London because of the pricings. I lived in a kind of a squat situation there. Mm. So it was more or less all right, but uh, I didn't know how long I could last like that. And that's already quite some years ago, right? Yeah, Now that was nine like years ago. Yeah. Not in the European Union, I think, all the oh. prices anyway. Yeah, it's hard to imagine what's going on. No. Mm. I would like to shortly also speak about your second job or other job as we spoke about it also before in your kitchen but also online when we met first time doing the parallel job to your art practice is also a big part of who you are and it's even in your mm-hmm. uh, Instagram bio I thought that's very nice I love when people like especially artists also really own another job they do or another life they have or like it's the same life but different Mm-hmm. profession tool, art making and uh, I think yeah, we, we spoke quite long about it before and I thought to also include it shortly in this conversation. So what are you doing apart mm-hmm. from art? 24 hours a week I'm working as a kindergarten teacher so I have a group with uh, 17 kids for now, I think it's going to be 18 from January and uh, I work in a small team. Yeah, this is my job, and I work in this system, like education system, for around five years already. And that's interesting that you notice that uh, that bio, I actually changed it uh, lately. Recently. Uh, just yeah. recently, yeah. Because it was, for me, always like, this part of identity was hard to accept, because, yeah, like, how am I positioning myself, mostly as an artist, or... Uh, But then I understood this is so present. And yes, you're right. It does. Um, yeah, through this, I am perceiving this reality a lot. It does influence. Yeah, we spoke that you are spending yeah a lot of hours of your week with the mm. smallest uh, people of our society, which also gives you like an interesting entry of mm. like the new generation. And so yeah. On. Yeah, and uh, yeah, also in this whole uh, system of care, and uh, that's also how 
uh, it influences the choices that I make in terms where I go, how much energy I'm able to spare for other activities in my time, how I distribute my time and energy <clears throat> when I'm not working there. And uh, it also, I think, shapes my practice in some ways, which is for me now not so um, clear. And I think maybe it would be something for the future projects. To, to work mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the yeah. aspect of uh, care. Yes, and uh, to actually try to combine these worlds. You know, I try to think to think about it uh, apart from the projects that I'm working on now, yeah, that are running right now. But I understood that, you know, there is not enough distance between these worlds for now to be able to see things that clear, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to conceive and, uh, um, yeah, to come up with something. So you now uh, live for quite some uh, years uh, here in Berlin. You also... Uh, work in German, but uh, in your art you mainly use English and Russian, is that correct? Yeah, this language thing is, is a complex matter, yeah, isn't it? Mother language is Russian. Uh, Kalmyk was never a part of my life, unfortunately, and that's what I'm trying to um, compensate now by learning it once a week. And uh, All right, yeah, how I'm are you doing it? Oh, online that's or? yeah, online. Yeah, I have a, a great teacher, Sanal, Sanul, and uh, we are calling uh, each other once a week. And uh, sometimes he gives me also house, 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 house of Gabba, <laughs> homework. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Kalmik is now on my agenda. I don't know how long it will take until I start really speaking it. So I grew up speaking Russian. Then I, when I moved to, to England, of course. English was my main thing. And I learned all that artistic vocabulary, all that theoretical stuff in English. And then I was uh, shortly uh, living in Italy. So that's where I picked up a little bit of Italian, but not so... Not you so know. you can speak, but yeah. I mean, Italian is kind of easy to catch at least the basics, right? Yes, especially when I, I um, studied philology, uh, when I Uh, I lived in Kalmykia, so we had to learn Latin, we had to understand the structure of uh, Latin and Germanic languages, so it was more or less clear. Mm, you so know? you knew the basics, mm -hmm. how to kind of read a language, let's yeah. say, or like read yeah. the structure of a Perceive language. Perceive that, yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. system. And then German. But German, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> German, I also studied uh, in Kalmykia already, then I completely... Not completely, but I forgot it and I had to pick it back mm. here already. But I had a huge barrier, I would say, for a long time here. Because Berlin, you know, with German, <laughs> unless you work in the, uh, at the German company, you don't have to. Yeah, You don't have to really um, be fluent yeah? and really feel on that language. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. But I still feel uh, a lot of people make the effort here or like really mm -hmm. learn yeah. it compared to, for example, uh, Holland where I lived before. Really? Like people really, it's not needed at all and people also don't make any effort to learn that. Yeah. But uh, not I everyone. Mean, mm -hmm. Heads up to those who did learn it. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so yeah, shame yeah. on me, but... 
Hey, it's not an easy language. I mean, German and I'm sure Dutch. And uh, But I love learning languages. I think you can learn so much about the world through languages. Mm. And why did you decide uh, to now in the yeah, recent years or months, I don't know, when you started to actually take classes and learn Kalmyk? Um, Well, that was something that I wanted to do for a long time. And I had my attempts, I made my attempts uh, to do it independently a couple of years ago. And then uh, now I came to this point where I have that extra time and extra resources. Also, a little bit of a dramatic reasoning here is that I'm not able to go home now because I don't know if I would feel safe I would be safe uh, with my certain statements uh, to go home to Kalmykia. Um, so this is one of the bridges that I created. To so, feel closer yeah. to the place yeah. you're from. To keep that connection, you know, not only through my project, but through something where it's very active. Um, yeah, it's very important for me, this connection. That brings us uh, to an exhibition or like that brings or bridges me to an exhibition that I discovered uh, your work at, a group show, the, the poster we have mm. here, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, it's so beautifully framed, yeah? Yeah, beautiful. By my friends and colleagues. I love it, mm -hmm. yeah. So a group show, an exhibition, which is nice, I have the dates here, that happened earlier this year uh, here in Berlin, in Kreuzberg, uh, that focused on artists or various activists and creative voices, representatives of different uh, ethnic groups uh, in Russia. I was very much amazed by all those histories. I learned so much about it. I also loved that there were so many different voices that, at least to my knowledge, don't all live in Europe, but actually create in mm -hmm. their communities. I thought that was very valuable because if, when we see exhibitions, uh, especially on those topics here in Berlin or other Western countries, Those are artists which somehow have like uh, already education here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that there were so many different uh, people that I could discover. Some of them I just couldn't also find anywhere because of like my inability to speak uh, the mm -hmm. same language or like... Yeah, yeah, I think first and foremost it was mm -hmm. safety reason. That's why many of the artists presented there were not able to speak about their works uh, directly you know afterwards and that. yeah of course important important mm -hmm. uh, aspect yeah uh, you already started speaking so maybe you can just continue the show was there for uh, i think two months but there was also a rich program of events happening in the whole city presenting and showing also that russia is not a white place only that it's not only slavic people living mm -hmm. there Uh, also problematizing colonial history, that mm -hmm. it's not something implemented from the West, but actually for a very long time also being executed by Soviet and then Russian uh, regimes. Uh, but please take yeah. the mic and... Well, thank you for your feedback. Thanks for coming there and uh, seeing all this uh, work. That was a long process. It took us, I don't remember how long exactly, more than a year, I guess, Yeah, to to come to this point uh, at the Kunstraum Kreuzberg. But I think in this uh, whole 
project, that process was the most important thing. That community that was built, uh, that was created, and it's still there. We started at the residency, and for me, it was a life-turning uh, uh, event in my life because I've met so many artists uh, with whom I could finally identify in so many ways, in so many experiences. And that was not the case for so long in that uh, center-based art uh, uh, life, that art, uh, that whole art world, uh, in Russia especially, you know. So there I felt so free, you know, it gave me so much strength and it gave me so much uh, um, such a different perspective on so many things, you know, and uh, I'm super grateful to be part of that. And I'm super grateful to our uh, curator team, Fata Collective. They did a huge job. All these people who uh, helped us, helped organizing that, these regular meetings of uh, feedback sessions, we did that quite often in these last months, uh, helping each other to see certain ways uh, to experiment, uh, to fill each other with uh, different uh, influences and uh, different uh, uh, perspectives on uh, certain topics. And also theoretical sessions where we read together um, articles, we exchanged uh, our ideas and or things that happened to us uh, and uh, things that happened in within our republics, within our context. Yeah, that is an invaluable experience. And uh, then the past, the last uh, months, the last uh, weeks, it was all about. Uh, setting all these things up to the public, then yeah. right? Sharing, yeah, what you, whatever you felt like yeah. sharing to yeah. the audiences, right? Yeah, that was also, of course, a very interesting, super dynamic time, and also very stressful. Uh, very, y you feel super responsible for how you. Uh, we, we had no idea, yeah, like how it's gonna turn out. But uh, we had a lot of... Uh, Positive responses? Yeah, like lots of energy. There is uh, still lots of energy about that. Maybe I forgot actually to tell about the title of the show, mm -hmm. which also uh, stands, of course, for the whole process of it. Maybe you can mm -hmm. tell about it. The title is Ome. I actually, it's it's about uh, um, solidarity, these practices of... Uh, helping each other, of supporting each other. And this really mirrors that process, yeah? What you see, what you have seen on that, at that exhibition was just uh, one facet of this whole uh, process of just being there for each other. Perhaps a very banal question, almost rhetoric, but I anyway would like you to answer it. Why did you think like this whole workshop you did and then the exhibition uh, was important to be shown especially at this time the time of uh, full-scale war mm -hmm. uh, Russia's war on Ukraine mm. so when we met uh, we met at 2021 in August so it was before full-scale uh, invasion so we had no idea how uh, it's gonna we planned to do something at the end and when uh, that invasion happened into Ukraine yeah, by Russia, and we we were paralyzed. Yeah, we didn't know what to do for uh, 
um, I mean, I, I think I'm, I should talk here about like myself uh, more. Like uh, it's uh, like I was totally paralyzed. Like I didn't know uh, how it's gonna affect this whole uh, our idea. But then all the, all these themes that we talked about uh, at the residency and afterwards, uh, this became even more actual, you know, and it stays there. Yeah. It, it didn't lose that actuality moreover. Yeah, for me also it was so generous, I thought, from all of you to present so much knowledge that actually, um, well, of course there was art and visual formats of producing and making knowledge, but there was also a lot of just history and facts, stuff that each of us can just like research. And I thought it was very generous to put all of this for people just like this and be like, mm. look, this is all these histories and all those things that happen. And here in the West, like we know so little about it. Mm. Thank you. But there is like there is so much more, yeah, like to to explore. There is so much more to speak about, to speak up, and I hope it will be, it will continue. This whole uh, discourse will continue. It will not just uh, vanish, you know, or these voices will not exhaust themselves. One of the voices uh, is, of course, your voice. And you uh, showed one of your works uh, there also in Ome, in the show, mm -hmm. group show, uh, your project Motherland. Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. like to hear more about it. This is like the second mm -hmm. part, yeah. continuation mm -hmm. of a series that you started some mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah, this work uh, was created during preparation for this uh, exhibition. It was already, it was on my mind for a while. It is a second part from that series, Motherland. The first part was my graduation work, which is four portraits, hand-embroidered portraits, and each one is symbolizing certain period in Kalmyk history. One of that po those portraits is the portrait of my mom. Yeah, so it is very much connected to my personal uh, history. And uh, in that second part, I'm continuing to explore that um, biography and uh, looking at it through that big context yeah, of uh, history of Kalmykia, of Kalmyk people. And it started from me trying to find out anything about my grand-grandfathers and mothers and I couldn't find uh, anything I couldn't um, ask anyone actually I have still have aunts and uncles but uh, it's very difficult to get any kind of knowledge uh, because uh, all the memories are a little bit twisted or some of it of some of that is vanished and it's really difficult to 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 create that clear picture. Of course, it's never going to be clear, but still. So what I did was actually going to the website Memorial. I don't know if you know it. It's that um, organization that works with the archives of people who suffered from uh, exiles, from deportations during Stalin time. Now in exile also, organization that... 
yeah, it's proclaimed to be a foreign uh, agent in Russia. So I went, I put my surname, it's the name of my mom, and um, I found 194 surnames, Sarangov and Sarangova, yeah, the female and male. And I was really um, shocked to see how many of what is known of what is on that database, and it's not the most spread uh, family name, yeah? And uh, I just thought, okay, how am I going to show that scale, yeah? So my uh, first impulse was, okay, I'm going to embroider it and see how it's going to feel, It's gonna, how it's going to look. It's one thing, but how I'm going to feel doing that. And when I started to do this, uh, embroidering the surname, the name, and the short bio, basically all that that is left after these people, I felt such a mixture of emotions and feelings that I understood that I have to finish that. And I'm still doing that. I um, just saw it. It was just on uh, on our table where now like the mm-hmm. recording thing is. But... Um, I would like to see it later. Yeah, I will show you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if I understand correctly, these were people with the same surname, but you, of course, don't know if you're related yeah. or not. Yeah, because I don't know exactly who of them belong to my family. And uh, when I look through all the surnames, I understood that one sentence that is repeated in each bio is that um, conviction sentence, yeah, that they were all convicted by national uh, char- uh, characteristic because they were Kalmyks, yeah. So uh, Kalmyks were allegedly helping uh, Nazis in that time and Stalin decided to send the whole population uh, over one on one day, 20th of December of 43, 1943. People were sent in the cattle carriages uh, to Siberia, to other parts of uh, Russia. And that was a very brutal act. So all these biographies, they contain that sentence. And that was something that was uh, connecting all of them and me to them. Yeah. Uh, So I'm exploring that whole question of identity and uh, where I am there and here I cannot tell you super clearly what is happening, but I find it very uh, important, uh, that whole process for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here I wanted to actually ask you also about the technique uh, or like the gesture of embroidering. Embroidering. Mm-hmm. Embroidering, yeah. Embroidering. Mm-hmm. Uh, you use it uh, already for quite some time in your practice. What is it for you? What's, what mm-hmm. feeling do you have while doing it? Like this very hands-on mm-hmm. craft uh, mm-hmm. gesture. Yeah, embroidery has many connotations that uh, none of them are pretty good for fine art. Yeah, um, but um, Why? Uh, yeah, because of uh, that... Um, craft thing that's something that is opposed to fine art art naive yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) it's uh it was always proclaimed as a feminist uh, feminine art uh, or like craft now it is feminist now it's feminist (laughs) like they are reclaiming it finally yeah Uh, they and we um, uh, 
but it was always difficult, you know, especially within that uh, uh, world um, of big art, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also outsider art, yeah. Like, so, but for me, it's a very important instrument that I'm ha- I have, and uh, it is uh, such a bodily practice. It's a, a gesture of a repetition. It's a gesture of uh, complete. Uh, immersion and it is to me very close to that mantra thing as well like something that was that is for me rooted in my childhood as well as uh, as a child I used to go to the Buddhist temple not far from our town and uh, there I was listening to this, uh, to to the mantras and oh, the repetitive sounds, and it was putting me into a really nice place, you know. And uh, here, maybe I'm trying to just uh, reenact this situation, but doing it with uh, through my body and with my body, and uh, I'm connecting. I feel like I'm connecting on some level uh, with all these people. Thanks to them, I'm here. You know, and it's one of the reasoning, yeah, for this instrument for me. Also, the the embroideries you did as well on this traditional uh, Buddhist flags in mm. the in the colors, uh, mm. and that's I guess also the connection to you, what you just said uh, to your memories of going to the temple. Or Maybe. is there some other? Oh, that uh, was reasoning? for me one of these biggest uh, doubts actually sources of doubts of um, why am I taking these uh, colors and why is it, uh, you know, because I think the way how I approach this whole Buddhist uh, topic yeah, and, and my own culture you know, it's so easy right now to, I don't want to self-exercise my culture, I don't want to appropriate, you know, reappropriate uh, uh, the religion which I grew up so I have to be careful. But this form came to me, I took it, and I just, I'm sticking with that. But I am I had a proper phase where I was just contemplating and debating with myself if I should still keep that, you know? If they have to be proclaimed as Buddhist flags, uh, how close, because, you know, there are also different types of Buddhist uh, flags. Yeah, the Sangha, for example, they have different symbol uh, symbolics in them because Sangha is something that brings joy and proclaims joy and happiness. You know, here I work with grief. So how do I, uh, you know, like there Combine are, yeah, hmm. exactly. So I I am aware of these uh, sides, and that's why I'm not. I'm trying now to avoid this whole thing. Yes, I took this form because it is something that is immediately recognizable. But uh, I would not say that I, I, I was working with Buddhist flags. Yeah. You also work uh, with something um, yeah, very untouchable, uh, like sound. Mm-hmm. As you said, you started or Berlin inspired you to, do, to mm. work more within those mediums. 
And I would like you to speak a little bit about uh, your other series uh, called the Archaeology of Progress mm-hmm. that deals with uh, the notion of progress and, as I understand, takes a kind of critical lens on the notion of progress as something that is always positive and mm-hmm. always forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, you... Yeah, question that and ask mm. like who was maybe forgotten in the progress process. Omitted from that whole uh, Indeed. Yeah, rhetoric. Why uh, is progress something that interests you? Well, here I have to maybe uh, do a special shout out to my friend uh, Anton Lapov uh, who invited me for the first one. Because the project has like, it's It's, different mm -hmm. site-specific installations, right? It's uh, very much connected to the uh, location, yeah. And to the history of location, to this whole context. And uh, it started in Lviv. And I think progress was there in that topic. Each of us, of the participants, uh, got place, like... uh, uh, an object, like I got that factory, uh, textile factory, and we had to create a radio uh, program, a radio work, uh, that would be transmitted there, around that place. And um, I got that factory and I started to uh, research um, textiles, uh, that uh, whole um, history of Lviv as a textile place, the more I digged in, dug in that uh, research, the more I started to be interested in that whole idea. What is actually progress? Like, how can you call it progress? I mean, for whom is, is that actually? Yeah, when, for example, places that were uh, industrial plants uh, are now places that uh, where uh, they outsource certain things, yeah, and whom does it serve in the end? So I have many questions still, and that was my first, uh, uh, my introduction in that uh, series. Work was uh, pretty short, but it started the whole format, yeah, that audio essay format. And then um, I got a place in Red Ruth at uh, Back Lane West Residency, and uh, I also worked with the history of uh, that town. Red Ruth was a, a really uh, prosperous uh, industrial town uh, before Thatcher. It was a mining, uh, it was within that mining region, you know. And um, yeah, now it's uh, pretty, um, it's struggling economically, I would say. And uh, what you see there, uh, you see the aftermath of that whole uh, glorious past full of um, promises yeah, that were all connected to that progress idea. Then I decided to come back to the place where I was born because the idea of progress there in Elista was a little bit different, yeah? It came from uh, the other place and it came through the other door somehow. Uh, but it What is, other door? I don't know. It, it did not uh, or, um, originate, like it kind of was as if that certain idea of the progress was borrowed from 
was borrowed and fantasized and mixed it all up. And it's difficult to understand, you know. Uh, it wasn't really desired. It was rather like the... Well, it was very much desired, I would say. But it was desired in some uh, interesting ways. And where I was born, it was desired in a different ways how, as how it was desired, uh, compared to how it was desired, for example, in the center, you know. So all these affects, all those uh, desires, all these uh, fantasies, I find interesting. And of course, I, I did collect them as well as I was growing there. Uh, I was growing there, and I was absorbing all these things. And can you tell a little bit more in terms of? Uh some visual examples uh, if we think about Elista and the progress like what so how was the place changing <laughs> what did you see as a young person there um, hmm. like uh, what can you remember let's say from being a child and something that you thought was like wow this is really progressing this is changing yes it's a really good question when I think about it Now, I remember in the 90s, this first salon of virtual reality, you know, that was in the huge place. Like it's a, it was a tiny salon of virtual reality where I was just, I, was, I had no idea what it is all about. I was a child. And uh, it was within the place that was a club. And the club was called uh, Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was uh, changed into Sansara and I was I'm not sure if it was first called Sansara and then Nirvana like, and then after 2000s that whole place was changed into a huge like uh, our first supermarket you know so I think yeah that one place shows a lot already about uh, the 90s, promises of the 90s and, uh, and uh, the reality that is still there, that supermarkets is still there. It yeah. is, and people mm -hmm. shop there. People shop It's there. It's like, yeah. uh, like a mall. It is mostly a food store. Oh, yeah, like, like a, a proper typical supermarket. proper supermarket. Yeah, like little, but it was the first of its kind. All right. Yeah. And it had like this huge uh, light sign, yeah, like this... Uh, fluorescent thing and uh, I remember looking at it from the balcony it was just yeah it was very um, seduct seductive yeah in in your practice you also write as we see your a mm. lot of your notebooks and you research a lot I think yeah judging research. from you, what what you're telling mm -hmm. me Uh, and I encountered uh, while browsing through your websites uh, that you work with well stories, histories, and micro histories. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a little bit what that means? Yeah, well, histories uh, all in all, like a big histories, but I'm interested in the smaller narratives, like uh, biographies or like histories of uh, certain places. Like for example, I told you now about that supermarket that used to be. So virtual reality salon. For example, microhistory, I would call the history of our square, central square in Elista, that was changing. Yeah, it was going through transformations and through these transformations you can see 
the bigger narrative, you can understand how it was all like going through these changes, you know, just looking into the history of one statue, of statue of Lenin, you know, how they were dragging him around. There is a work about it Yeah, <laughs> on your uh, website. I will link it. I saw it, it. it was a very nice uh, bridging, isn't it? <laughs> It's crazy because um, you're showing there this huge monument of Lenin. When we speak about it, we can also just uh, touch shortly about it. And the crazy thing, a very similar statue was, of course, here in Berlin mm -hmm. at the yeah, Lenin Square, mm -hmm. which is now renamed. But uh, it's quite crazy how similar all those statues were and gigantic as well. Mm -hmm. And the head of Lenin is still actually... Uh, to be seen in Citadelle Spandau yeah. here around Berlin. It's crazy. Yes, I mean, like uh, that Lenin Square, uh, it's still present, yeah? And it's uh, a very burning place. It's a discursive, like, uh, I, I don't know how to call it, <laughs> but it's quite a problematic place. Uh, painful situation you know like about these squares about all the statues and uh, not only Lenin other stages other uh, monuments it's this whole planning city planning urban planning and yeah very much also mm -hmm. still present in Berlin as well yeah. but uh, lastly about the micro histories because I'm very interested uh, about this as well and I also somehow follow this um strategy in my podcast because mm -hmm. I also believe like smaller case studies or individual personal stories can tell sometimes way more or like open our imagination than just reading big histories um, yeah what what do you think why is that more uh, interesting to to speak from like small about the big Well, yeah, it is a it is a certain strategy, but uh, through this, I mean, the history I think is built on many generalizations, and this goes uh, in a con in an opposite direction of it. You know, it it uh, puts the focus in a complete different uh, light. Yeah, a different perspective completely, because you go from the other side, and uh, it is allowing us to see uh, a very alternative way of how this reality was shaped and how the narrative was shaped. It challenges these big narratives. It challenges these huge constructs, you know, and that's what interests me. Yeah, to, to cover stories that weren't covered in yes. the big yeah. histories. Because, yes, because I... I have a big problem with like how uh, the history is being uh, passed over because I personally know how certain situations, certain people, certain events can easily be dropped out when they don't fit these mega narratives. Yeah? And uh, it has huge consequences, you know, not very awful consequences, you know. That's maybe one of the reasons. Mm. Uh, yeah, lastly, um, since we are now 
in Kalmykia, kind of, with mm-hmm. our narration. I would like to also finalize perhaps there uh, by bringing you uh, home and thinking about food. Mm-hmm. This is always like the last part of the kitchen conversations, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about your favorite tastes uh, or foods from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have a now perhaps also a home here, so you can you're free to say about mm-hmm. your favorite food from home. Maybe it's something from uh, Zonen Alley. <laughs> but yes. uh, perhaps it's something uh, from, yeah, the yeah. place you were born. <laughs> well, here we are very lucky. Exactly. Yeah, There's have, so much amazing food around yeah, here as we well. we have good access here to nice food. But uh, yes, oh, last time I ate uh, Kalmyk food, which was uh, Burgi. It's the dumplings. Uh, meat dumplings, uh, but uh, also can be. I mean, for some Kalmyks, it would be a taboo, yeah, like the without meat, the vegan or vegetarian versions. And uh, borzuki, <laughs> borzuk is the like type of a bread, bready thing, like a donut, but not sweet, like a very fluffy, doughy things. Pastry, yeah. but it's Pastry. not sweet. Not sweet, no. And how do you eat that? Just with tea, Kalmyk tea. You know, ah. and the Kalmyk tea is the tea with milk and ah. a bit of salt and bay leaf. Yeah, and then you eat that as like a yeah. snack yeah. with the tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, and um, do you have that like in the day or is it like in the morning? <sighs> Whenever you know when you fry them. Uh, it's fried. Y- yeah. Okay, so it's, it's pretty very heavy. much fried. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like a meal. Uh, yes, but you know, you can eat it uh, with uh, just tea. You can eat it as like bread, as something uh, to the side of uh-huh. the dish. It's unstoppable. You know, once you start to eat, it's mm. difficult to stop. It's very nice. I don't do it that often because <laughs> it's dangerous for me. <laughs> but uh, whenever I was coming home, that was the first thing that I was eating. Mm. Yeah. Can you get that here also? No, you have to cook it yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know how to? Yes. Uh, but you have to deep fry, so it's deep fry. pretty like, yeah. if you don't have a fryer, it's pretty tricky, you know? No, you have to do it on in the pan. It works? It's okay. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It works, yeah. You have just not to spare that oil, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and last time, I think we were celebrating one of the Kalmyk holidays. I Maybe that was... Uh, spring holiday and uh, we have a small diaspora here of people from Kalmykia and we gathered and we fried things and we cooked things and it was very very nice beginning of that spring season for us yeah that's so nice yeah so that these are occasions when I cook them but only yesterday I found out that here in Berlin there is one uh, uh, vegan place uh, with Mongolian food Oh. Mm. I forgot wh- how it's called, but wow, I just want to try it. Wow, I'm, I'm curious. Sounds also. like a concealed advertisement, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't really know I this. Mean, Never try it. I think if it's yeah. a vegan and Mongolian, I think it's fair to to give some to advertisement endorse, yeah. to those people. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. research it and I put it yeah. in the show notes <laughs> for yeah. those around in Berlin. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for uh, this conversation. Mm. 
and I was uh, yeah happy to to get to know your practice and how you're thinking and what you're thinking. Uh, and thank you for hosting me in your house for this thank nice you. kitchen talk. <laughs> thank you for coming over and thanks for really nice questions. And uh, yes, it's a pleasure to speak to you. And this was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this podcast episode. The next one is coming in four weeks, always on Monday. Please follow the podcast and leave a rating if you're listening on Spotify. There is two ways you can support the further development of this platform. Number one is to buy the Kitchen Conversations cookbook, Homey Recipes from Artists, that features uh, home dishes from the first 17 guests who appeared on the podcast. And number two is to become a patron of Kitchen Conversations and support uh, this platform with an amount of your choice that starts with 250 per month. More info you can find on patreon.com slash kitchen conversations. In the meantime, take good care and we hear each other soon.